shot that we got. All right? We're going to run the picket fence at them. Now, boys, don't get caught watching the paint dry. All right. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Picket Fence Podcast. My name is Derek Early. And I'm Kim Smith. We're the hosts of the brand new Picket Fence Podcast, a basketball podcast with an Indiana focus. Each week, we're going to bring you discussions on current affairs in the basketball world from high school, college, the NBA, and beyond. Also, each week, we will discuss and break down a topic related to basketball in the state of Indiana or expand to another hoops-related discussion. This week, we're going to get warmed up in our shoot-around by discussing the new hires around the state of Indiana in high school, the NBA season awards, and a big name that just committed to USC. We will also be discussing the last eight teams in the NBA playoffs in our four-quarter segment. We will break down each exciting series and give some predictions of what we think is to come. And to wrap up the show, we've got a pretty exciting segment on our favorite all-time basketball movies that you do not want to miss. After you listen to the episode, we would love to know some of your favorites. Post your favorite movies to our social media pages. Check out PicketFence underscore pod on Twitter. The Picket Fence Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. When we come right back, we're going to get warmed up in our pregame shoot-around. All right, Cam, as we get into shoot-around this week, we've got a couple of good topics to talk about, and we're going to start off our shoot-around session with discussing some of the new hires in the Indiana high school basketball world. Um, we've got a few of those to discuss, a couple of exciting hires, too, and some schools that have added some big names um, to their head coaching position. So if we want to start this off, we can look at the first one uh, as far as a local flair is Floyd Central filling their coaching position with Fonzo White. Yeah, absolutely. That was um, announced yesterday um, at their board meeting. Uh, exciting hire, uh, bringing Fonzo White down from Indianapolis. Um, uh, last uh, His last coaching stand at Fort Wayne Lures. Um, big name, big school to be at. Um, had some success, um, some success up there. It looks like he's had um, some, uh, like some diversity in his in his coaching background, um, some different schools, um, and um, some success there as well. Uh, brings a lot of great experience to Floyd Central. Um, I think he's going to bring um, some energy and enthusiasm, um, and try to kind of revive that program after what seems like a down year for them. Um, I, I think it's an exciting hire. I think that you know he'll bring some some indie basketball maybe to to Southern Indiana. Uh, that was kind of my thought. Like, hey, you know what is. What's the uh, the indie kind of style going to look like down here? Um, I definitely think he's going to bring that with some of the new hires that are that are in his conference as well. When you look at uh, Craig Teagle coming down into Albany, um, Sharon Wilkerson in his second year, they're, they're bringing in some new guys, some new styles um, at these you know traditionally great programs. Uh, it's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to do and what some of the other coaches in that conference will will, will look like. Yeah, it's an it's a hire that I'm. At the, at the time, I, I'm fairly unfamiliar with, I guess, because I don't know a lot about Fonzo, uh, but do know that he was at, he's been at Franklin College, he's been a college coach, he's been an AAU coach, um, he's been at Clinton Central and Fort Wayne Bishop Lures, uh, and has had some success there, and I know has done some AAU, AAU coaching, AAU work, he's been on the board with the IBCA, um, so he's a guy that kind of has had his hand in a lot of different aspects of basketball. So I think um, this is certainly a hire that's kind of a shot in the arm maybe for Floyd Central, and I think they need that. Um, like you said, with 
like you said, with the hires in the Hoosier Hills Conference and, you know, just over the course of this summer, um, you know, and even going back to last year with bringing Sharon in to Jeff, I think it's a move that's probably good for Floyd, um, you know, to see something different um, coming off the immense success that Coach Sturgeon had there um, with his run where he kind of brought Floyd back to some of the days of Coach Hinton um, to a certain degree and really kind of reestablished Floyd Central as not only a Southern Indiana basketball power, but kind of brought Floyd Central back to the name across the state. And so maybe this is a situation where uh, Coach White can come in, you know, with a college background, AAU background, and being across the state in a couple of different capacities. You know, hopefully it's, it's a good hire for Floyd. It's a shot in the arm, and they can get off and running on the right track. I agree. I'm excited to see what he can do and excited to see what that conference looks like because I think it's going to be a really tough competitive. I mean, as always, Hoosier Hills. But yeah, um, I think it's going to be tough and competitive with some some new styles and new faces, and it, it's exciting, man, for sure. Yeah, I think you know we kind of get lost in the discussion of always wanting to talk about New Albany and Jeff in the Hoosier Hills, but you know Bedford is always right there. Jennings County had one of the best years across the state this past season, uh, you know, and they bring some guys back. So I think it's it's going to be one of the more oddly competitive years in the Hoosier Hills Conference where maybe, you know, there's not a clear-cut, you know, one or two teams that are just head and shoulders above everybody else like we're kind of accustomed to seeing. Uh, and, you know, f- for what it's worth, I don't know that, that you can necessarily say Seymour's that far out of the conversation in the Hoosier Hills. Um, I know sometimes record-wise it may not always look like it, but Seymour's as competitive as anybody. Um, they're extremely well-coached. And, you know, so, so Fonzo White comes into a situation, into a conference. Again, a lot of talent, very well coached. Um, and I think it may be, hopefully, it's, it's a hire that, that works out really well for Floyd. Sure, 100%. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Uh, the other big name, and we mentioned it last time, and I was excited to talk about it, I know you are too, is officially Pike hiring Jeff T. Yeah, you were trying to go full-blown like Adam Schefter – and drop Shefty bombs and Woj bombs, talking yeah. about coach talking about Jeff T coming to Pike. So now it's 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 official, it's legit. It is on John Harrell's website, so we can have a real conversation. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was just sort of the rumor, and it was too exciting not to bring up. But now now to officially have uh, you know that on paper, uh, you know I'm excited to see it. You know if you've seen some of these former college uh, Division One college players coaching these teams that are winning state titles and competing for it um, to bring in not only a division one player, but to bring in someone who played in the NBA and had a good NBA career. I mean, we're not talking about a guy that was in and out of the league or someone who, you know, right. made a roster. Jeff Teague, um, I believe has an all-star, uh, an all-star appearance or two right. when he was at Atlanta. Yeah. Um, some really good Atlanta Hawks teams. Yeah. Um, this is something that I'm excited. I mean, can, is he going to? Um, is it going to look traditional? Is it going to uh, be something that we're not used to seeing in high school? Um, is he going to bring? You know, how well can he mesh the the NBA knowledge and experience with what um, will work with high school kids? Uh, I'm excited to see that. I don't doubt that he'll have success and do well. I'm excited to see what it looks like. Yeah, and and my hope there is, I think with him being from Pike. Um, I think that certainly gives him a little bit maybe longer leash. And I don't know that you can look at a guy and say you're from the NBA and you've got a really short leash. But my hope would be that they 
it's not like you can go out necessarily. There's always the discussion of whether or not certain schools recruit. Sure. Uh, but as far as actually being out and to be able to go handpick your kids, it's not like AAU basketball, you know, where you can handpick your team. Uh, I think they're in a great position. I think it's an awesome hire. I love seeing guys in this position that want to come back and coach high school basketball, that want to go back to their alma mater, and not and and just be able to almost you know pay it forward, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Awesome hire. I love to see it. Uh, and I don't know that you necessarily will necessarily see different things out of Pike, but I think you may see a different energy out of Pike, if that makes yeah, sense. Uh, yeah, that's the, the excitement to me as a high school kid to walk into a gym and look over at my coach and be like, that dude was the point guard for some of the best Atlanta Hawks teams ever. Um, I don't think you have a whole lot of doubt in your coach at that point. There's right. nothing that he hasn't seen. Um, as far as being in situations, there's no situation he hasn't been in. Um, I would not look at Pike and say that they're going to be unprepared by any means. I think that they're going to be very well coached. Uh, I would look for their point guard to be very, very talented, um, to be coached very well. Yeah. And I think it's probably a matter of time. I know Pike has not been um, the traditional Pike that we were accustomed to seeing in in the late '90s, early mid 2000s. Uh, but I think it's a matter of time before they get they get back to that point. Um, and I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch putting him into the mix into that conference. Uh, certainly, kind of changes the landscape. I completely agree with that. It's it above all else. It's just exciting. Yeah. Um, uh, other jobs you're looking at? Anything that's that's popping out to you? Uh, I've got two that I thought I would bring. Um, and we've talked about this program um, before on the podcast when their head coach resigned. Uh, but Greensburg, for me, is okay. one that I wanted to bring up. And Greensburg, as we've discussed previously, is a program that the last. 15, 20 years, they just win. Uh, They're one of the most successful, not only 3A programs, but one of the most successful programs across the state in the last 15, 20 years. Their head coach, Stacy Meyer, just resigned um, after this season. But what do they do? Greensburg goes out and brings in an absolutely proven winner in Sean Busick, uh, who has a resume – that is as good as anybody's um, going back to 1994 at Argos. Um, he's been at North Knox. He's been at Belmont. He took Belmont to the state title game in 2004. Uh, was at Zionsville from 2007 to 2020. Won two sectionals while he was there, um, including a 22-win season. And then is coming off two seasons at Traders Point, going 18-7 and this past season at Traders Point. So. Greensburg is just a program that is established, that has a culture, that has a way they do things, and I think that this is just a situation where uh, Coach Busick gets to come in and walk into a program that he doesn't have to fix. I think he hits the hits the ground running, and I know that they bring some guys back, so I would look for Greensburg to be as competitive as ever um, coming into this upcoming season. 
Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think we knew Greensburg was going to bring in somebody that was proven and was going to bring in somebody that's going to win. I mean, uh, they're not in any rebuilding from what it appears. Right. Um, I don't think that they're um, anywhere. You know, we don't know. We don't know what's going on in there. But um, I will say that it's not unexpected they bring in somebody with a resume that's not only good, I mean, like a mile long resume, but also um, impressive. And I, I expect exactly what you're saying. Coach Busey is going to come in and, and win. And yeah. Um, I think that they're going to pick up where they left off. And I, I didn't I didn't expect anything less than that, but I definitely see Greensburg as somebody that's um, going to pick up. Who's your other one? Uh, the other hire I wanted to talk about is, again, going back to Pike and the Mick, uh, Warren Central. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the bigger openings in the state. Uh, their head coach had had some longevity there, uh, was actually the dad of the Davis brothers, um, one of which played at Louisville. Uh, was at Lawrence Central, moved to Warren Central. Uh, but it's interesting because Coach Byers, his, his, his coaching record goes back to Warren Central. Um, yeah. So Warren Central goes back to bringing um, Coach Byers home, for lack of a better term. Uh, starting in 2013 at Martinsville, coaches one year there, wins a sectional, uh, and then is an assistant for a period of time, gets the head job at Warren in 2016, is there until 2019. He is the head coach of the undefeated 2018 state champions, uh, led by none other than David Bell, who is arguably the all-time greatest receiver in Indiana high school football history. Yeah. Um, also pulled off maybe the upset of the year in 2018 at the semi-state in Seymour, uh, hitting a game winner against the Romeo Langford-led New Albany Bulldogs, um, which then propelled them into the state title game, which they won and finished off their undefeated year at 32-0, nonetheless. Uh, From Warren Central, moved on to Franklin Central, uh, which Franklin Central is kind of – it's a weird place. You would think being just on the south side of Indy uh, in a place where Jawan Johnson, who went to Purdue – went to high school, um, you would think that they would be a little bit more competitive than what they are maybe, um, but kind of hit a rough spot there at Franklin Central. But he gets the job back at Warren, and, again, I would anticipate no different than Greensburg. Um, Coach Byers coming in, hitting the ground running, and taking that program right to where, where they have been. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when you look at, you know, when you look back at these guys' records and resumes and things they've won, and you're talking about undefeated state titles and upsetting guys like Romeo Langford. And it's just funny to, like, it makes you laugh as guys that, you know, you and I have applied to jobs in the past and, you know, been through interviews and a lot of coaches have, have gone through things like that. And, you, you know, it, it would – I think about who's the other guy in the room or the other guy that, you know – sees this guy walk out uh, and then you're coming in next interview and, and uh, you kind of feel pretty defeated. That's kind of my thought. Like, you know, when these guys walk in like, Hey, it's, uh, I, what, what else do you have to say when you walk in with a resume like that? But I actually right. weren't central again to be at the top. I mean, I, you know, I, I went to those state title games and watched those um, when Warren central was winning and they were powerhouse. And I anticipate that to be the same thing. Yeah. Um, the, the other job I wanted to bring up is not filled yet or to our knowledge. Okay. There's no, there's no Woj bomb here in terms of who's going to Do you want to drop? Um, you can. I mean, you can drop whatever news you feel like dropping. Yeah, I'll, I'll drop it if I get some. If I get some inside info, but um, it looks like um, that there is a, a coaching search going on in Lagodi, and okay. that is 
we talked a couple weeks ago about the jobs that we found to be super interesting around the state. Yeah. So we have that one. If you're talking about someone that's going to probably bring in a proven winner, um, that is a very interesting job. They're coming off a really, really strong season. Um, they, I think they're graduating there at this point, all time leading score, which is quite a feat, um, coming out of Ligoti. Um, that is you know, historically, um, a great Indiana job. I am, I'm a little bit surprised. I don't quite know the situation. Um, I don't want to pretend to right. know the situation there. Um, but to think that that job is open and it to be, you know, um, it, it's up there in the discussion we had a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a big time. This is a big time job. I mean, um, if you're taught, I mean, when you're throwing the name Jack Butcher out there, yeah, um, which is right. you know, not I'm not the coach anymore. But uh, this is uh, shoes you're going to have to fill. Yeah, <laughs> even even though you're not following him, like that name is in there, right? Um, this is not a job that is not a, not a, excuse me not a program that is rebuilding often or, or interested in rebuilding. This is a program that wins, and um, it's going to be very exciting to see uh, who they put in that position. Yeah, I think absolutely, and I'm I'm looking at their their record just last year. Um, they were 20 and eight. Um, two of those losses came to Evansville Christian. One of those losses came in four overtimes. Um, they lost by four to Orleans in that game. They put they took Bedford North Lawrence to a two point game. They lost 55 to 53. And they played Brownstown, who has arguably their best team ever um, last year and probably upcoming also. They played Brownstown to an eight-point game. Um, they finished the year 20-8 and eight last year. Um, average margin of victory was somewhere in the ballpark. It looks like 16 points. Uh, and they lost by one point in the semi-state. So, again, whoever they are hiring, I look at this being a Greensburg, I look at this being a Warren Central type situation, um, I would not look at Godi at Lagodi to come in and hire somebody without a resume. Um, it's Agreed. it's not a, a program that you come in and you have to worry about rebuilding or trying to establish. Um, this is a program that is firmly established, um, not just at the one A level, but I think it's well respected across the state, and that goes back to Coach Butcher. Um, but certainly think that this is this is a job that's going to be coveted by a whole lot of people, and I imagine that their interview pool is going to be more than deep. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, you think about maybe some guys who have snagged a couple jobs, um, and you wonder if anyone's kicking themselves um, and, and wanting to wait a little bit longer. No, you know? no kidding. Yeah, because, you know, they're a little late to the game. I mean, a lot of these jobs came open, um, and now maybe there's some guys who have been looking around the state, and maybe there's a, hey, there's a, there's a great spot to jump in at Ligoti, but yeah. um, these are all really, really interesting. Um, I'm excited to see who gets that job. I'm excited to see what these coaches do at these uh, these big time programs um, across the state. Yeah, absolutely. We have we have some some legitimate jobs that have been filled, um, but also some that are, are still left to be filled. And Ligoti certainly fits that bill. Uh, I think that's the top job right now that's open, in my yeah. opinion. I think it might be the best one. Yeah, I don't disagree at all with that one. Uh, Moving on, I guess, in our shoot-around here, uh, I think we could probably sit and talk about coaching jobs and openings and, and jobs that have been filled for an entire show episode here. But um, the next part we want to get into is talking about the NBA season awards 
for the 2022-2023 season. And I know that you have some strong feelings about some of these awards because your favorite player got the top award of them all. And I will let you lead this one off. Look, I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I say that I shed a tear. <laughs> when when they announced that he won with so Joel Embiid is the 2022-2023 NBA MVP. When they announced that, that Joel had got that award, I legitimately like I, I teared up because it's it's not only that it's a guy that you enjoy watching, because I enjoy a lot of you know, I enjoy watching Joel, I enjoy watching someone like Nikola Jokic and Giannis and these guys. And I've enjoyed watching basketball my whole life, as you have too. But when you not only look at the performance, but the story that goes along with Joel Embiid. I mean, to miss... He doesn't start playing basketball until he's like 14 or 15 years old. He comes over from Cameroon. He goes to Kansas. He's one and done. He misses his first two seasons with injury. Um... I, once the, the first time I watched him play, I remember I could give you the, the first game I watched him play, but <laughs> I was just like enamored with because the NBA was missing a real big man. And yeah. it had been a while since there's been a good I mean, they had DeMarcus Cousins, but he was not really an enjoyable player to watch, in my opinion. Um, and so there was missing that big man since kind of Shaq had gone away. Um, I followed him very, very closely to the point that, like, they call him JoJo. My dog's name is JoJo. That is. That for that reason, like I, I love, I love watching him play. He's just got a toughness. He's got a grit. You see the energy out there. When you see what he's gone through in terms of injury, I mean, there's these stories of like when he was going through that time where he wasn't playing, he lost his brother. Like there's all these like stories and and adversity, and to see him do that, um, there's a lot of animosity around this right now. There's a lot of arguments between who yeah. should be MVP and disrespect, and people should get respect and. Just to look at that story alone, I think makes this really, really exciting. Um, I was really excited to see him get it. I think it's deserved. Um, if Jokic or Giannis got it, I think that's deserved. I mean, yeah. the league is so strong right now, especially at the top. There's five different guys that you could make an argument for legitimately. Um, but for Joel to get that is fantastic. It's so exciting. Um, I hope that they continue to roll through the playoffs. Uh, but, yeah, I had to kind of – voice that because I couldn't have been more excited <laughs> and uh, it's well deserved and to enjoy watching a guy go through his career and go through ups and downs um, it's it's super exciting to see him get that yeah and I'm I'm with you on that conversation as far as the debate about who could have been the MVP this year uh, you could throw out five or six different names and make a real argument statistically well, however you wanted to make your argument, I think you could make one for those top five or six guys. Uh, Jokic is probably the guy that gets uh, the most attention and has the conversation shift or shifted toward him the most in the MVP conversation when it comes between him and Embiid. I just have a real hard time looking at giving somebody the MVP three years in a row. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. I know it, it goes back to, to Bird in the mid-'80s. Um, when he got three in a row. But to me, to, nowadays in the current state of basketball, to put somebody in that conversation of saying that they deserve to be the MVP three seasons in a row, I think that's a big conversation to have. Uh, and I do think the MVP award, I mean, I think it warrants 
not just being freely spread around. I don't want to put that out there and just say anybody and their brother should be able to be the MVP in the NBA because it's not the case. Um, but I do think there are situations when you look at certain guys and how they carry their team. Um, you know, to me, this year was Embiid's year. Uh, yeah. You know, you can talk about Jokic, you can talk about Giannis. Um, you could probably, again, throw LeBron into that conversation. You could talk about Tatum in Boston. Uh, but I think when it comes down to it, I, I don't think that they made a bad pick going with Embiid in this one. Um, statistically, points per game, led the league in scoring. Um, they're in a situation where they've got a chance to knock Boston out of the playoffs. And that series is tied 2-2. You know, we've got game five tonight. Um, but to me, I mean, it, it validates him, I think, in a lot of ways in the the trials that he's faced in his career, like you said, battling injury, you know, going through the whole trust the process situation in Philly that we can have a different conversation about probably next time about whether that's really worked out for the better or not. Um, but, you know, he's, again, when we think about the, the lexicon of the NBA right now, he's easily in the top three, top five players in the NBA and is much deserving. So, again, kudos to Joel Embiid and MVP, much deserved. Yes, absolutely. And as we speak um, with uh, Embiid, uh, the Sixers are looking like they're walking into halftime right now with an 11-point lead in Boston. Uh, we're going to discuss these series shortly, but um, this playoffs has been really exciting, and he's proven to be someone that's that's a real um, superstar at, at, in the postseason as well. Um, are there any other awards that you're – I could talk about. Look, I could talk <laughs> about Embiid literally for the rest of this podcast, and if you let me, I will. Um, <laughs> Is there any other awards that you found to be interesting or any, any picks that were surprising? Or uh, yeah, he's had a really good uh, Had a great year. You know, won the, won the Rookie of the Year award in Milwaukee, kind of in a similar role coming off the bench, um, occasionally being put into a starter's role. But I think he's kind of found a niche. Um, I don't know that the trade to Indiana probably was the best fit for him in the sense that he went from being a guy who kind of filled a role in Milwaukee with their team to being a focal point of the team in Indiana to now he's back to kind of being a role player off the bench with a certain expectation. I think that that fits his style of play really, really well. Um, and I think that he's in a, a perfect spot in Boston. Um, I agree. And I think he's a guy that could fit into any lineup but yeah. I don't think he's a guy that um, you maybe build your lineup around, and that looked like something that Indiana was interested in doing, and I just don't think that that um, – you're, you're not going to be bad uh, because he's a great player, but I don't think he's, you know, your, your, uh, you know, your centerpiece. Yeah, I think, I think he's, he's a guard version of a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Um, but I'm with you. I don't know that you necessarily want to take your team and say this is my – this is my centerpiece. This is my, my second or third best player. Right. Um, I, I think he's in a perfect spot. And also looking at some other awards, uh, Lori Markinen out of Utah gets improved. Here. I think that's highly deserved. Um, you know, he gets, he gets traded to Utah and suddenly emerges as an absolute stud 
averaging 24, 25 a game this year, gets an all-star appearance, uh, and help carry that team really throughout the course of the year. So, I, I, you know, much deserved most improved player award to him too. Yeah, I mean, he looked like a superstar out there. Um, it was super fun to see him uh, kind of come into like uh, prominence in Utah. Yeah. I think we also, I don't want to jump off of Lori, but we got to talk about the Hoosier, man. Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. Former, former Indiana high school star. Yeah, uh, the pride of, of Park that's, Tudor. That's, that's right, Park Tudor High School. Uh, made his way to Lalamere and then, um, you know, went to Michigan State. But that that's awesome. I mean, I, I watched him his sophomore year at Park Tudor win a state title. Um, and he was just a real skinny, lanky kid that looked like he was starting to put it together. And now to see him defensive player of the year, that's, that, that was so exciting. I was super happy to see him get that, especially being an Indiana guy. Yeah, he's, he's come into his own also. Um, ends of the floor, too, playing there in Memphis. Uh, mm-hmm. He's, you know, obviously playing alongside Ja Morant. Um, so doesn't necessarily have to be the, the focal point, centerpiece of the offense. But he's one of those cogs in their offense that kind of makes the machine go. Uh, sure. You know, without him, the Grizzlies certainly are not nearly are not going to be nearly as talented or as good as they are. And I know that the season didn't go the way they wanted it to this year. Some off-the-court things going on there with, uh, with Jaw. If they can get some of that stuff righted, come back next season being a year older uh, with some work in the offseason, Memphis is not going anywhere. Nope. In the next, you know, in the next four to five years, Memphis is not going anywhere as long as they keep that core together. I agree one hundred percent. Before, uh, well, do you have another award you'd like to discuss? Uh, not necessarily. Just you know, Coach of the Year was Mike Brown out of Sacramento. Um, probably oh, the yeah. su- the surprise team in the league, I would say. You know, I think they were projected to be like eleventh or twelfth in the West at one point. You know, and they end up hosting a first-round playoff series. So yeah. uh, I think that that probably probably was the easiest no-brainer NBA season award out of all of them. Uh, and kudos to that guy because he's he's been a head coach in multiple different spots, and he's been an assistant coach in multiple different spots. And to look at him and the longevity he's had in the NBA and, you know, uh, having head jobs and then having to humble oneself to be willing to be an assistant coach again after being in the head seat, I think says a lot about him and his character and the type of guy he is. Um, so much, much deserved to him and an absolutely heck of a job this season with that young squad in Sacramento. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Definitely humble you humble yourself to go take that assistant position again, um, but also to get to to jump on the Golden State staff isn't such a horrible gig. Um, and then I'm it looks like he took an awful lot um, from that experience and and uh, dropped it into Sacramento because they look very similar in terms of their style of play. Obviously, you know they don't have Steph Curry, but the way that that looked, the ball movement, the player movement, the continuity of their offense. Uh, you definitely can see where he, he picked some stuff up there, but he definitely deserved that, and that team was super exciting. And another team you're talking about, along with the Grizzlies, uh, the Kings are a team that looked like they could be um, a, a, a dominant team for the next probably decade. If if they keep their core together 
And we can talk about the genius of the DeMontis Sabonis trade on a later date, too. Um, yeah. But that absolutely changed the trajectory of that team season substantially. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we wrap up our shoot-around, one, one more quick point before, before we tip off. Uh, very, very interesting commit to USC. Uh, the Prince, um, if his dad's the king, Bronny James committing to USC yesterday. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, as or two days ago. One of the one of the two was yesterday or the day before. Yeah, yeah. In the in this past week, Bronny committing. Do you have any thoughts on that before we wrap up our our kind of our warm up here? Uh, I, I found it to be pretty interesting and exciting. Yeah, I think it kind of makes sense in a whole lot of ways. I know that there were rumors. Um, early on in, in Bronny's recruitment, especially this year, because it was kind of quiet from his freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, even into getting into the, his senior year, um, as far as where he was going to go, who was recruiting him. There wasn't much on the... the uh, so, you know, there, there were early rumors about, obviously, Ohio State was coming into play because LeBron, you know, obviously being from Akron, Ohio State was a logical place to recruit Bronny. Um, Rutgers was a school that was mentioned. Uh, St. John's was a school that was mentioned. Uh, but I think, I don't want to say it was smoke and mirrors, maybe, uh, but possibly, you know, saying maybe that those schools were unrealistic for Bronny is probably a better way to put it. Um, I think probably him staying home in L.A. probably was going to be the, lo- the, the logical move in the end of it. So I think USC makes sense. It's a good get for them. Um, certainly brings attention to their program. Uh, he probably gets to play right away, and I would say he, you know, one thousand percent ends up in the NBA. And I think it's a conversation simply of is he one and done, and you know, does he get to play with LeBron? Yeah, and I think that's one. Well, one of the things is um, being in college. It's exciting that he'll be in the Big Ten. Um, I guess is USC going to jump in there right away, or how is that going to work? Uh, my understanding is that they are. It's a two-year away process, so I think football season. It's looking like twenty twenty-four. Okay. Uh, so basketball would be twenty-four twenty-five. Okay, so we may we may not get to see may not get to see him in the Big Ten, right? Okay, so if, if now if he stays for multiple years, it's possible. Um, Bronny's really interesting to me because he's definitely talented. Um, he's got some exciting highlights that you'll see on, you know, Instagram and Twitter. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that he's not, I mean, he's a good player. You know, I, I can sit here and say like that he's, I mean, but you definitely see the name have some weight. Yeah. Um, I, I have kind of interesting thoughts on this, but if he stays in college, I can definitely see him being a transfer portal guy. Um, if there's, I mean, if there's not a situation at USC work out exactly the way he wants, I, I can see him and like most college kids being kids that, you know, bounce around. But I, I definitely see him being a one and done, like you're saying as well. I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. Um, I kind of think he's a G leaguer though. Uh, I haven't seen anything that showed me that he's head and shoulders above anybody else. His athleticism is off the charts. Um, I would have to really see him play at the college level to understand, you know, how he matches up in terms of his ability to handle and shoot and score and defend. Um, there was that conversation that's been had for the past couple of years that 
wherever Bronny goes, LeBron wants to go. He wants right. to play with this. Now, could that mean that LeBron could work it out to where wherever Bronny went, he could, you know, help orchestrate a trade? Maybe. I I see this a little differently. Um, I don't think that LeBron follows his son to a city. This to me seems like a he really wants to ensure his kid getting drafted. Okay. Um, I kind of see this as he has mentioned, I'll go where Bronny goes. I feel like there's a lot of organizations that even – to me, I've always thought that it was him saying this to ensure that some organization would pick him up. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I may I may eat my words. He may be <laughs> one of the best players in the country. I hope he is because it would be an incredible story. Um, I, I haven't – I don't know enough about him. It, it's a little right. bit like the LaMelo Ball situation. It reminds me a lot of LaMelo where – you know, hey, LaMelo had that big high school game and everyone talked about him. And, you know, Bronny's been kind of hyped, but he's hyped for a particular reason. I'll have to see it. Um, but I think he will be one of the biggest stories in college basketball. Um, I don't know if it will be because he's in the conversation as one of the best players. Right. And I, I don't I don't think you're wrong there. You know, if currently speaking, I think he finished the year being ranked 19th in the country. You know, if he's not LeBron's son, is he the 19th ranked player in the country? Is he a McDonald's All-American? You don't know. Um, now, I, 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 based on just watching game clips, I think the, tra- the, the difference in his game from being a junior to a senior was stark. Uh, yeah. I thought he grew by leaps and bounds from his junior year to his senior year, and some of that may have simply been the role he had to fill in his high school team. Um, yeah. I think that that probably changed a little bit. I think, currently speaking, he definitely shoots the ball better than LeBron did at this stage. Uh, maybe has a little bit better handle, but he's not as big. He's not as physically imposing as his dad. I think he's, what, 6'3", 6'4". Right. And that may be more like a 6'2", 6'3"-ish. Uh, you know, if you go off of everybody always measures in shoes. Um, so, yeah. you know, maybe he's more like 6'2", 6'3". I'll be interested to see what it looks like at the college level, especially in the Pac-12 with the pace that they want to play. Uh, you know, UCLA, Arizona, Oregon to a certain degree. Uh, you know, what's he going to look like playing against those schools? And can he defend at the Division One level? I think that that's probably going to be more of a tell than anything. Um, I think these guys that come in out of high school that are highly ranked – they can score the basketball. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but can they defend a Division One player? Um, and can they play to, at a Division One pace? I think is what we're going to look at. Uh, certainly has unlimited resources. I think they're talking about somewhere in the five million dollar range for his NIL money. Wow. Uh, which I think is a re- I think is a record. Don't hold me to that. But I, I'm pretty sure five million is a record for NIL money, which is to be expected in all fairness, uh, you know, when you've got that name and that cachet behind you. But I think it does kind of speak to a certain level that USC is where he ends up. And, you know, some of these other top-tier, top-name programs that we look at, these blue bloods across the country, you know, having LeBron James as the father of one of your players, having that name, having LeBron looming is a lot of pressure. Uh, 
And do you want to bring that kind of attention to your program? You know, because like you said, he's going to be a conversation piece on a daily basis from November to March. Yeah, 100%. And whether it's warranted or whether it's not, and that's the, the, the one thing I hate for the kid, is there's going to be a lot of attention on him, and it's not necessarily going to be fair. Um, and it's one of those deals where you hope he's able to block all of that out and just focus on the job at hand. And I hope he has a heck of a year. And I hope he goes to USC and is successful. I hope he's able to get to the NBA. Um, I'm kind of like you. I don't know immediately if you look at him being a first-round draft pick. You know, is he an early second-round guy? You know, and, and does LeBron end up moving to wherever Bronny gets drafted, or can they work it out to where, you know, the Lakers pick him up? I think that'll be an interesting thing to see, too. I, I would completely agree with that. He is going to be the biggest story, and um, I'm excited for it. Um, when we come back, we're going to play four quarters of basketball and discuss uh, the NBA playoffs. Hit point lead for the Sixers at half, baby. Celtics score is 58-4. Because I knew they were going to swarm Embiid because that's what Brooklyn did. All right, Cam, so this episode for our four quarters we're going to jump off talking about the four playoff series in the NBA that are still left going and I will let you kind of introduce the first series that you want to talk about and we'll get into it all right so uh we're going to start the clock in the first quarter and discuss the New York Knicks and the Miami Heat so to tip it off here in our four quarters game um, the Knicks and Heat are the first one I want to discuss. I think I want to do them first because this is kind of the series that's being overlooked. And I know there's some stories about Jimmy Butler, and I know it's the New York Knicks. But with the big names in the other three series going on, the Knicks and the Heat are definitely fourth in terms of everyone's attention. Um, and to be honest, I, I understand that, but it's still a super fun series. Um, uh, you were, You and I were talking about it before we actually came on. Huge swing and a miss for us on this prediction. <laughs> definitely didn't see Miami coming out of the Milwaukee-Miami series. Uh, the Knicks, you know, it, it could have been. He's always a grind. And Spolstra is just a chess master. Um, I think he might be the best coach in the league. He's one of my favorites. Um, Eric Spolstra is definitely, you know, just playing chess with the New York Knicks. Uh, the Knicks, I, in my opinion, I don't know if they're quite ready yet. Um, they look like a good team. They look like they're maybe missing that guy. Like they may be just missing just something. Um, they're definitely fun and they're competitive. Uh, Miami, I think, has just been there before. Uh, they've got Spolster's experience. And the Miami Heat, like, so I've heard Bill Simmons call them zombies, and that's the perfect, like, description of the Miami Heat. When you're talking about a team that you would think is dead and they're just not dead yet. And they just revive these careers. Whether it's bringing out undrafted guys or going to get Kevin Love from Cleveland and all of a sudden he's revived his career. So they just, they never die. They're always that playoff contending team. And I think that combination with Eric Spolster's abilities uh, makes them always a team that can sneak through. Uh, But I definitely think the Heat are going to run away with this. But it's definitely been the grit and grind series, and I think a series that's been fun basketball. Yeah, the Heat, I would say, undoubtedly come out of this series, given the current circumstance of where the 
the series is currently sitting through, what, four games at this point. Um, and the Heat look poised to make another run to the Eastern Conference Finals that comes out of nowhere. Uh, you know, really since the Heatles, LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, since those guys have been gone, you know, the Heat in a lot of ways have kind of been an afterthought in the Eastern Conference. And the acquisition of Jimmy Butler has completely reshaped their franchise. Um uh, you know, the guy that was screaming, Jimmy Butler is your father. I don't know that he was wrong. Uh, you know, there's a whole – you look at Jimmy Butler in the regular season and you look at Jimmy Butler in the playoffs and he's – I don't want to say he's a different human, but he's a different beast. Yeah. Uh, his ability to, to flip a switch when that playoff series starts is absolutely second to none. And, you know, you and I are sitting here, and like we said, we had the conversation about how much we whiffed on both of these two teams. You know, don't ask me to pick a playoff series. Don't ask me to pick March Madness because I am terrible. Uh, but goodness gracious, it's – watching Miami has been fun. Uh, yeah. And I think it, it, it begins and ends with Butler. But I also look, like you said, with Spolstra. And I look at Miami's ability to shoot the basketball. You know, they're bringing in Duncan Robinson, who just does not miss. All he does is make the right basketball play. His IQ's off the charts. Uh, Struss, all he does is hit threes. Um, I think he scored their first, like, 12 points the other night. All were threes. He starts the game off four for four. And uh, looking at the Knicks, I, I look at their offense, and I keep watching them play. I keep thinking they need one more guy. Um uh, They've got Brunson, which I think was a great acquisition. I think Dallas completely missed on not keeping him. I think Dallas also missed big time on their trade they made for Kyrie. That's a different conversation. Uh, I think bringing in Brunson was awesome. But I look at, at where does your offense go? I don't think in the scheme of things New York has the shooters that Miami does. And New York also doesn't have Bam Adebayo. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the ability not only to hit the three ball, but the ability to have a guy that you can throw the ball to in the block or in the mid post and kind of take a deep breath, get yourself collected and watch him go get a bucket when you need one, I think is also a game changer too. So I look at, at Miami like they're just, they're going to walk their way into the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I agree. You know, Miami to me, I think top to bottom in like everything they do is the best organization in the NBA. You talk it just pound for pound, what they bring in, the way they compete, you know, finals appearance uh, to, you know, in the bubble. Um, you know, they have Jimmy Butler who is kind of thought as maybe a B list superstar, which he's definitely not playing like that, but you know, he's kind of a looked at as the second tier guy. He's not going to be a guy that everyone's talking about. If you're, if you're going to have a fantasy draft or something, he's not a guy you're going to look at probably early on. Uh, but combined with the the unexpected superstars and the guys that are completely unexpected, you mentioned Duncan Robinson. I mean, he was a Division three player who moved his way into Division one and then goes undrafted. You've got a handful of guys every year. At one point, they I think last season or two seasons ago, they had like three of their starting five were undrafted guys. Yeah. I mean, just bringing these guys that are undrafted, second-round pick, guys you wouldn't expect that can still hang anymore, and they just have this depth that you can't 
you can't even explain it because yeah. they're bringing in guys that no one looked at. And to me, it makes me think, one, how good they are, but two, are other NBA teams looking at the right things? You know, are other NBA teams drafting the right way? And to me, the Miami Heat proved that, hey, we can have a decent draft, and then let's just go get the really good player that no one else thought about but we knew was really good. Right. Um, the other point I'd kind of like to make, and I have a, a point later on with a player that's maybe their absence is helping the team, but I think that Tyler Hero can sometimes be as – can hurt just as much as he helps. Um, sometimes I think when a player becomes too ball dominant, it's a problem. I think maybe the hero injury could be maybe helping Miami just a little. And no disrespect to Tyler Hero because he's a tremendous player, but I definitely think Miami, um, when that when he went down, I kind of thought they were dead. And it seems like that they've got they've still got their identity and they've still got all the right guys taking shots and and, and playing well. And I think that Miami is super tough. I think that they could easily make their way back to the finals again. But I think that maybe um, they maybe uh, have a little bit better of a formula when the ball isn't so dominant with Tyler Hero. Yeah. And I think, too, um, I hate to sound like the old guy here and be like, well, back when I was back in my day. But I remember, you know, at a time in the NBA going back to the, the 90s, early 2000s, if you weren't the first or second best player on a team, you really didn't get a lot of acknowledgement. The, the media didn't hype you up. And I know that that's a time without social media, without Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, but now we're in a situation where if you're just on the roster and get playing time and you have a, a big night or two, you know, the media kind of loses their minds a little bit and to me kind of overinflates these players. And I'm kind of with you on the, on the hero conversation. Um, I think he wants to be a little bit more ball dominant and to be to take on a bigger role maybe than what he needs to in that offense. And if I'm Jimmy Butler, like it's my team. Um, and the there we go. But if I'm Butler and I'm the Heat, the the team Miami has to go as Jimmy Butler goes. And right now that train is moving in the right direction. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, and even as the buzzer goes off, buzzer goes off there, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, he's he, he knows how to win. Yeah. Uh, as we go to the second quarter, that's that's the buzzer there for the first quarter. Um, great discussion. Let's look at let's look at the second quarter here with a yeah. very. We talked about the the under hyped, underrated series. Now we're going to talk about the the most hyped, the probably the most um, the one that everyone's probably most interested in, and that's the Lakers and the Warriors. So yeah, uh, we're gonna, we're going to inbound here and, and start the clock. What are your thoughts on Lakers Warriors? has not gone the way I thought it would, but the point, I, I've, I've thought about this today for probably longer than I should have. Um, but, but looking at the current state of, the, of this series with the Lakers having a 3-1 lead, and my pick was Warriors in six or Warriors in seven. Um, I thought it would be kind of a longer, grinded-out type of series. Uh, definitely with the Lakers having LeBron and AD, plays a huge factor in it. But I was basing it off of the fact, I think, with Steph and Clay and Wiggins and Poole, with the Warriors' ability to space the floor, to create room for those guys to operate, and their ability to shoot the basketball, I didn't know that the Lakers could match that. But as I look at the series and the current state of 3-1 Lakers' favor, um, you've got to look at the Lakers coming out of this thing and probably 
six games. You know, maybe the Warriors get another one here at home. Lakers probably close it out in six would be my guess. Now, I say that, and the Warriors will probably win it in seven, um, just simply because I put it out there in the universe. But my thought was this with the Warriors, and they are the only team left in the playoffs who do not have a big man that they utilize on a consistent basis. Now, as we look at the teams that are left, we can go down the, you know, we can go down the line here. Uh, Miami, Bam Adebayo, right? Utilized on a consistent basis. He's, he's a staple of their offense. Uh, the Knicks, Mitchell Robinson, you could argue that. Uh, but he's utilized, so, so they yeah. use him. He's, he's in pick-and-roll situations. He's on the offensive glass. Uh, they utilize Julius Randle in a lot of different types of situations. Uh, you get to Philly, obviously, goes without saying, Joel Embiid uh, certainly is the focal point of their offense. He's the cornerstone. Boston, I know you could argue the Williams kid is not necessarily a focal point, but he's utilized. He's a pick-and-roll threat. Um they have Horford, though, and Horford's a big part. They've got Horford who can stretch the floor in situations. And Boston's also, you know, they have two of the absolute best wing scorers in the NBA. So Boston's kind of an outlier in that sense that they don't have to necessarily have a big man that they can throw the ball to and say, we need you to go get a bucket. But he's able to score, right? Uh, and they will willingly throw the ball to him in certain situations. And Williams can go, can go put the ball in the hole. Denver... Jokic, he is their offense. He makes them go. Phoenix has Aiton, who is very serviceable. Um, I hated the fact that the trade to the Pacers did not play out this year because uh, I thought that that would have been a really good move for Indianapolis and, and the Pacers organization. The Lakers have Anthony Davis. That goes without saying. Uh, we're kind of in a situation where he shows up one night and does not show up the next. But if he starts putting back-to-back games together, I don't know that the Lakers don't make it to the finals, uh, given the fact that those guys that they traded for have made all the difference in the world for their roster. Uh, but the Warriors are the one team left, I think, that don't have consistent use of a big man. And I think when you rely on guard playing the three ball like they do, you can shoot yourself out of a series. And I think that's kind of where we're where we're at. Yeah, so I agree with you. So looking at this series, I didn't quite have a prediction because I thought it could go one of two ways. I thought the Warriors could have a Warriors-like series and shoot them out of it. Um, But then I also thought that there is um, some physicality that I didn't know if the Warriors could match. So I have a couple points. One with the Warriors here. Steph Curry used to be considered a point guard who was technically a shooting guard. Um, He's a point guard now. He is running the offense. He is physically stronger. He is dictating things. He's in control, and it's fun to watch. And there are some possessions when it's alternating where LeBron has it, Curry has it. It's possession back and forth where they're both in control, and it is really, really fun. Um, But that first game of the series when Golden State wasn't shooting free throws and people were kind of complaining about it, that had nothing to do with the fact that they weren't getting foul calls. They shot 53 (laughs) three-pointers. Right. Yeah, I'm like (laughs) – you're not going to get a lot of foul calls if you shoot the main threes. The Lakers were eliminating any paint touches. You're talking about a big man that they can go to. You know, Looney has a, is, is serviceable. He's a tremendous defender and rebounder. The big man that they relied on was Draymond Green. I just don't think Draymond Green's the creator, and I think that's what Steph has become now. Right. 
when there is you said he's going in these back-to-back games and I'm going to jump to the Lakers point now he's not put maybe back-to-back games together but there are nights where Anthony Davis looks like Tim Duncan yeah I don't yeah there are nights where I'm like oh he's the best player in the league and those nights they look like they can they can win a title if he's going to play a handful of games in each series like that chalk it up the Lakers are winning the title they have the depth that steps up this is what's crazy to me they have somebody new every night last night it was Lonnie Walker they have Schroeder who steps up Davis who steps up LeBron who obviously can't any moment D'Angelo Russell they have guys who are coming in at different times and stepping up for the big moment yeah the Warriors the Warriors used to look like that the Warriors used to have a Sean Livingston game an Iguodala game when they had Kevin Durant it was no contest anyway but they had, they had a lot of depth who come in with a guy who could do that. Jordan Poole's a no-show. And I'm not a big Jordan Poole fan. I think he's just Spencer Dinwiddie on the Warriors. Like, I don't think that he's – I've never been a huge – I just think, you know, anybody that can shoot could have a role on that team. Um, the Warriors right now don't look like they match the physicality. They don't look like five-on-five five they can do that. Yeah. And I think the Lakers are taking away their ability to get to the basket. I mean – Obviously, Steph and Clay can have those moments. Um, Andrew Wiggins looks like he doesn't deal with the physicality tremendously well. Draymond's a good defender, but at this point, when AD wants to do what he wants, it doesn't look like you can stop him. Yeah. Um, LeBron, you know, isn't the LeBron we're, we're used to. You can tell that there's a little bit away from what he was. But there was a lot of talk about him being um, – a step slow in this series, people look like he's like lethargic. They use that word a few times I've heard on TV. I don't think so. I think LeBron has a cast now that he can allow to do um, what they do well. D'Angelo yeah. can make a play. Anthony Davis, when he's on, is the guy. And LeBron can be an orchestrator. Yeah. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing right now is he's orchestrating. So um, unless the Warriors go banana, which they have the capability to, Unless they go bananas, I think the Lakers are manhandling them. And to be honest with you, I'd be curious to see what happens with whoever they match up with. Because if Anthony Davis is going to be what Anthony Davis is, I think it's a wrap. I really do. Yeah, and I I think that's a really good point. I look at at Golden State, and uh, I saw a statistic. Steph Curry in his playoff career is 0 for 12 in the last 45 seconds of the fourth quarter or overtime, taking game-tying or potential game-leading shots. I saw this. And, yep. you know, we get into talking about the the player that is Steph Curry, and that's a statistic that you don't think you're ever going to see because you just uh, automatically associate him with cashing out every big shot he's ever taken. Uh, and so the fact that to hear that statistic to me says a whole lot but it also speaks to the versatility of the Lakers' defense and what they were able to do. I know Anthony Davis switched off on him a couple of times last night late, you know, and forcing Steph to take a shot over 6'10", 6'11", 7-foot Anthony Davis uh, from the perimeter, from deep. Um, you know, it, it says a lot about the, the Lakers' are versatility. But I think their youth that the Lakers have is also playing a toll on the Warriors also. I, I would agree with that for sure. Um, I would definitely agree that um, it definitely looks it looks different for them, and I think it's a dynamic the Warriors may not have expected. Yeah, completely uh, agree. 
as our as our buzzer goes off there. Um, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, so as we're uh, going into halftime here, do you have any predictions for those two series? I can give you a prediction, Cam. We're going to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. So far, so far, not great. Knicks Heat, I've got Miami. I think you're in agreement with that. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of us making predictions now is both of these series are 3-1, so hopefully we can't mess them up too bad. Yeah, um, I don't think so. I do. I think Miami closes their series out. I think they march their way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, and as long as Anthony Davis shows up and is any sort of effective, I think the Lakers walk through to the Western Conference Finals also. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, third quarter, I'm going to start the clock for us. Sixers, Celtics. Let's do it. Your your thoughts. Sort of like the Lakers and the Warriors has not necessarily gone the way I thought it would. This series has been a lot more physical and a lot more competitive back and forth. I kind of looked at Boston as being, I guess in my mind, the heavy favorite. Um, only because... What they have in Tatum and what they have in Brown, the fact that they have youth, I think, on their side. They've got a little bit of experience and grit between guys like Marcus Smart, Al Horford. I love the Williams kid in the middle. Um, you know, Robert Williams, yeah. I love watching him play. The way they use him, again, we, we just talked about that a little bit. Uh, but it's not like he's just a guy on the floor. You know, He has a role. He has a job. They do utilize him. And he can go get them 10, 12, 14 points, but he's also going to get you 14 boards. You know, he's going to alter four, five, six shots a night. May not block him, but he's certainly going to make things interesting in the paint. Um, Does he cancel out Joel Embiid? Absolutely not. Uh, You know, Embiid's a superior player. But the fact that Williams is a guy that the Sixers have to account for, I think, does make a big difference. Uh, but Philly has surprised me in their ability to make it work in the playoffs with Harden and Embiid. You know, I know Joel's been out a little bit. You know, he missed a game with an injury. Uh, and they won that game. And I really I, – I loved their offense that game and how they were able to use Harden and Maxi together. Um, I really like Tobias Harris. Uh, but bringing, bringing Embiid back – it was a kind of a seamless transition. And if this is the James Harden that Philly's going to get, um, you know, this is rem- reminiscent of uh, a rejuvenated, almost Houston Rockets James Harden. And this series very, very well may go seven games. Um, I agree with you. And, and as we speak, uh, Philadelphia is creeping up on a 20-point lead in Boston. Um, so as we're recording this, um, I, I'm sure you have it on as well. I'm watching kind of the game here. Um, Philadelphia is blitzing Boston. And I would agree as being someone who um, considers themselves a Philadelphia 76er fan, um, just for, you know, like I mentioned earlier, how much I enjoy Joel Embiid. I, I really enjoy uh, them as well as the Nuggets. I kind of have teams I kind of flow from in terms of my interest based on the players. Uh, and Philadelphia is one I followed for several years. Um, I really expected a, a typical Philadelphia 76 for the past <laughs> several years' performance. Um, they get your hopes up, um, and Embiid typically runs into an injury. Um, you know, they don't have um, – we won't, we won't mention his name, a former Philadelphia 76 or point guard. Uh, they don't have him around the locker room anymore. Uh, 
It's like it's like Voldemort. Like you don't want to say. It. <laughs> it's like you Beetlejuice. You can't say it three times. Yeah, he'll show up and miss two free throws. <laughs> uh, so you don't want to. Yeah. So they don't have him anymore. Uh, but Harden. Not only does he look like the rejuvenated like like Harden of, of Houston Rockets, but he looks like you know he's he's come into more a point guard role playing with Joel, a true yeah. point guard coming to role, but. They are now becoming a pick-your-poison team to where I, I, you saw in the regular season, but in the playoffs it could be a problem. Because if, it, if they can play in the half court this way in a, in a different you know, style of playoffs, they're going to be tough. Um, and if they can knock off Boston and have to play the Knicks or what looks like will be the Heat, they have a shot to make their way to the finals. Um, yeah. Brooklyn swarmed Joel, and that's what seems like Boston's doing. They are keeping him out on the perimeter. They're making it difficult for him to post up. He's not getting to get to the foul line like normal. And that is allowing guys like Tobias and Maxie to get to some spots. But it's really allowing Harden to get some open shots. Boston, you know, I love a good switching aggressive defense. Boston is almost switching to a fault now where they're allowing James Harden to get the guy he wants. Yeah. Horford's a great defender. Horford has really defended Embiid well. But they're just setting that screen, and Harden's blowing by or getting into a mid-range step back or that three-point step back and getting what he wants. Um, to me, I think the big issue is, for Boston, Philly can find the matchup they want all the time, and Boston's not quite finding that. To me, Tatum has not been a closer Um I know it may have looked like the right play, but passing up two shots the other night to get it to Marcus Smart, who's not the most, you know, the guy I would probably look to. I didn't understand that at all. And I, I saw where Boston's coach came out the next day and said, I should have called a timeout. Yes. Now, I don't like that as a head coach. I don't want my head coach coming out the next day and putting out there publicly that he screwed a situation up. I think that's something, if I'm the head coach, I keep that in-house. Um just I don't I don't want to put that kind of energy out there. I don't want to put that message out there because um, I think in the moment sometimes you don't call a timeout. You and I have been in, in plenty of situations where you know late game fourth quarter overtime you feel like you've got an advantage offensively or you've got numbers or a mismatch that you want to take advantage of, so you don't call a timeout. And sometimes the ball ends up in the wrong place, but you've got to live with the result. And you know I think hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, you could if you've got timeouts, you could always say you should have called one. Um, but if I'm Jason Tatum in that deal, I'm not going to put the coach in that situation. Let's go get the basketball and let's give the best player a chance to win the game. So I, I agree with the Jason Tatum point. He's he's downhill. I'm trying to get to the foul line if he's down there with somebody. I, I have to disagree with your point about Joe Mazzulli. Uh, to me, I think the problem is he initially didn't say he should have called a timeout. Because he's saying we should have played with pace, we should have done that. Maybe that's right. I definitely don't like to see a coach immediately put it on the play. That, to me, was a red right, flag. Right, um, And I don't disagree with you in terms of I don't want to hear my coach say that. I don't want to hear a coach really maybe reveal too much. Like, I can have a coach say, look, they made a play, ball didn't go in or whatever. Like, yeah. to me, you give, the, you give the cliche answer and move on. When he said, well, we got to play with a little more pace. Like, that was the play we wanted, but we got to play. To me, it was like, hey, I had everything right. You know, they didn't do it at, at the right yeah. pace. To me, it's like, hey, man, you had two times out at the end of uh, both of those situations. 
And you're kind of, to me, sometimes it's a cop out to where a coach is like, look, I let my players play. Well, you're hired to put them in a good position. To me, you've got two times out, two timeouts. I'm setting up Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's going to the bucket. He's getting swarmed. Philadelphia, both times, they showed their cards the first time, and they let him have it again. They left Marcus Smart open for a reason. Yeah. You know, they didn't leave Jalen Brown. They <laughs> didn't leave Mount Brogdon. What's the old adage we use when we talk about kids who are like, Coach, I was open. Well, other teams scout too. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's a reason. And when you talk about both times those guys are uh, leaving you open, there's 100% a reason. Philly showed their cards on the first yeah. possession where Smart missed the three. Now he ended up making it. It just wasn't in time. Yeah. That's 100% on. I mean, look, it's a, there's a lot of things that lead up to that. But to me, I like that he came out and said it, but I think he should have said it initially. Yeah. So that's kind of my point there um, with, with, with Joe Missoula. But, you know, I, I think as our buzzer goes off here, but I think – I think this is a, a dogfight of a series. To, I do to too. And, and I know the horn went off here, but just to, to make one final point, I think James Harden has, has gotten incredibly comfortable Agreed. in Philly. And looking at where he's at, eight games in the playoffs, he's at 23 points per game. He's at eight assists, six rebounds. He is shooting 41% from the field, and he's shooting 42% from three. Uh, I think he's incredibly comfortable. I think that speaks a whole lot to to Philly, to their offense. I think it speaks to Doc Rivers. Um, yep. And I'm, I'm with you. I think that this is a dog fight and probably goes seven. I agree. I agree. Um, we may need, We should have put that in the fourth quarter. We may need to go to overtime with that, <laughs> that segment. Uh, we may have to get, get into that. Uh, last one, fourth quarter here, down to the wire. Your guy. My guy. My other guy. Can you have multiple? I don't know if you're allowed to have multiple favorite players, Cam. You can have multiple. I I think I'm at almost. <laughs> I, I might be at a tie. I have some. I have some Joker points here. Um, I sent you some pretty hot takes during the last game. Um, Nuggets Suns. You want to kick us off? Let's talk about maybe the most exciting series. Right I can. I, and for me, this this is my second favorite series because I'm highly invested in Lakers warriors. I hate right. the fact the games are on at 10 o'clock drives me nuts. Cause I'm up until one yeah. uh, and the six thirty alarm goes off really early. Yeah. But um, this is my second favorite series. Um, and I know Jokic is your guy, but he's incredibly fun to watch. I don't know that we've ever seen a big man, even Embiid, um, even Giannis, they they don't play like this guy. They don't facilitate like this guy. Uh, he is is certainly the heart and soul of that Denver team. And not to take anything away from Jamal Murray and the other guys on that squad, but but Jokic is is next level. Certainly uh, would have been deserving, I think, of an MVP. But this just happened to be Joel's year. Uh, but it's been incredibly, incredibly fun to watch because it's kind of contrasting styles for me, and I, and I like that because with with Phoenix, you know that Durant and Booker are your dudes. Uh, they're going to score somewhere between 60 and 90 combined, which is absurd. Um, and you look at it defensively, there's nothing you can do. Uh, you know, and you and I had this conversation over text. We were talking, 
You know, I think Durant is the greatest mid-range scorer the game has ever seen. He's seven wow. feet. He's seven feet tall. Um, he comes off pin downs. He comes off curls. He's able to isolate himself and go one on one and get to any spot he wants. And typically speaking, defenders can't get to his level when he goes to elevate. Even though he's coming off an Achilles, you know, when he goes to elevate to his jump shot, you can't get to it. Um, and then you look at Booker, who, outside of you know. Tatum may be arguably the second or third best wing scorer in the NBA. Uh, you look at those two guys, what they're able to do offensively, it's, a, it's simply a matter of who else is going to show up on Phoenix. But then you've got a Denver team that's centered around Jokic, and you have to account for everybody. Yeah. So I, I love the contrasting styles in this series. Um, I pray it goes seven games because to me it's too much fun to watch. Um, and I think whoever comes out of this series very well may win the entire thing. So I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, to piggyback on your KD point before I just salivate you, over uh, Listen, you. you can get into a Jokic love fest. I will give you the rest of the time. Yeah. Look, but I, We're going to treat this like a, like a house committee meeting, and yeah. I will concede my time to you. Hey, I could filibuster probably. <laughs> I I could stop the Congress from passing anything if they get Do you know what I would give for someone to stand up in Congress and filibuster for multiple hours about the NBA playoffs? I would lose I my mind. That would, that would be, be beautiful. I think, I, think, uh, I think Stephen A. Smith could do it. Um, so Booker and KD are a duo that is becoming something we've never seen in terms of the way they shoot. Not like Curry and Clay. It's a little different. Um to go back to your point about KD shooting and then also Booker shooting and, and where they're getting it, it's not like the Nuggets are playing bad defense. These are heavily contested shots that they are drilling. Booker had that pull up in the fourth quarter uh, of their last game, and he pulled up into a double team and just hit it with four hands in his face. like, And it was like nothing. It didn't even touch the net. It went straight through. And... Durant and Booker are getting it, like you said, off screens in isolation and hitting everything, and it's ridiculous. I don't think there's been a scoring duo in this way, where they're similar in terms of the way they get their shots, and there's nothing you can do with it. And I'll say this before I jump to the Nuggets. Ah, they haven't really mentioned it on – they've talked about it on TV, but they're getting away from it. I think this Phoenix Suns team is clearly better without Chris Paul. I 1,000% I agree. And there's nothing against Chris Paul. I don't think it's a Chris Paul problem necessarily, but he slows them down. I think the ball's got to be moving. When the ball was moving and the Nuggets couldn't rotate, you had Shamit hitting threes. You had them losing Booker and Durant. You can't double-team both of them, and you can't guard all this shooting. And I think that when the ball's moving that quickly and those two guys are nuclear, yeah. that you can't slow them down. Now, what this did was open the door for Jokic to be what he's been the past two games. There have been Suns victories. But I know how good Booker's been, but I think Jokic is the best player in the playoffs right now, and it's not close. And Booker's been incredible. But Jokic, in these past two games, you have a 30-point, 17-rebound, 17-assist game. Absurd. <laughs> it's like in 2K when you put the sliders on and you make everything and everyone you pass to makes everything. That's insane. 
And then he has 53 on over 60% shooting. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do with it. I mean, Kevin Durant, after the game, was just talking about how incredible he was. He's putting up numbers that are that we have never seen before as a center. And he is truly, and I went on a whole tangent about Embiid, and I love Embiid, and, I, and it's so fun to see what he's done. But Jokic has become my favorite player to watch, I think, ever. He is so fun. He can do everything. He does it well. It's unorthodox at times. <laughs> um, there are times when people often mention him being like, uh, you know, a poor defender. But I, I don't think that he's a poor defender. I think that they use him strategically. Um, I think at this point, anyone looks like a poor defender against the Phoenix Suns because you just can't deal with them. But Jokic right now is doing things that I don't think we can... There's nothing to compare them to. Right, you can't really you can't really quantify it. No, and I know it's a different game. There's more possessions. And there are people, there's talking about that. Scoring numbers are going up across the league. There's more 50-point games. But this is not Damian Lillard or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant in the way they play. This is a guy who is easily the slowest player on the court in every game, who can't jump very high, you know, all of those, you know, adages they talk about, but he is manipulating the entire game. He is, like, he's got every player on a string. He hits everybody on a dime with every pass. There are times he takes a shot, and Durant mentioned it too, where you're like, oh, bad shot, that's what we wanted, and it goes in, and it's... Right. Like, the way he shoots, it's like just, you know, Curry's a great shooter, Durant's a great shooter, but the way he shoots is almost like you're just tossing a rock into a pond. Like, he just flings it, and it's automatically <laughs> in. He had that and one against Booker the other night that you texted me immediately. What a bucket. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I could go on and on with, with, with Joker, but this... I agree. Whoever wins this could definitely come out and win the series, you know, win the whole finals. But even if they lose, I don't think this is getting enough attention. He's on another level, and I don't. I think he's the best player in the playoffs. Yeah, and I would I would make an argument that as far as MVP of the playoffs, he's up there. And to me, Jimmy Butler is probably yeah. one. I think they're one A, one B. But gosh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I immediately fired off a text to you as far as, like, what a bucket. And this series is too much fun. I want it to go seven. And like I said, I think whoever wins this series very well may win it all. If Phoenix continues to put things together as the horn goes off, if they continue to put it together uh, offensively, I don't know that, that a team can, can step out and, and defend them for seven games. Uh, but I think you could say the same about Denver. So, yeah, I don't know that I look at this being a series that's won by defense. I look at this simply being a series that the best offense wins, and I'm all for that type of series. I love that basketball. 100%. It's been a shootout. It's not poor defense, but it is It is something fun, and this is a special series. Uh, uh, that If you don't have anything else, and I know we ran over our time slightly, but I think we got our points off before the – before the buzzer sounded, and there's a lot to talk about with this, but um, I'm very excited to see where this series, where these series can go. Um, 
my prediction going forward, I've got Sixers taking that. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that. Okay. Um, in that series, and I'm gonna take the Nuggets. How about you? I'm gonna t- I'm gonna say Boston in seven. Okay. And I'm gonna take the Nuggets. I'm gonna okay. take the Nuggets with you. Okay, I agree with that. All right, well, uh, that's our four quarters. When we come back, our topic to wrap up the show, uh, jumping into the entertainment side of things, we're going to talk about our favorite basketball movies ever. You're going to want to be a part of that. All right, Cam. So, heck of a four quarters right there. Good discussion, good topics. Love every single second of it. Uh, I wish the NBA playoffs would last all year long because it's, to me, arguably the best basketball in the world. Uh Gosh, it, it's just so much fun, and we could have that conversation all night and all day and absolutely everything else. But we're going to get into our, our big discussion for the day, um, sort of our, our list, our draft. And what we're going to talk about today, like you alluded to, is the entertainment sector of basketball and getting into our all-time top five favorite basketball movies. And I will let you lead us off here at number five with your favorite movie picks. Absolutely. And before before I kind of reveal my pick, if we could quickly discuss, I'm, I'm just curious. Um, and I, I kind of thought about this just because we're in this basketball mood, and when playoffs aren't on, I'm finding myself watching a basketball movie, um, or after the basketball games are over, I'm watching them as well. So I'm curious, uh, what makes a good basketball movie to you? What are you looking for when you look at this list? What's something that you like? You know, hey, that makes a great movie, or man, that kind of turned me off from that. I didn't really enjoy that basketball movie. What, what, what are the qualities of a great basketball movie in your opinion? I can, I can speak to this, and, and I'm sure you can too. Um, having played the game, having coached the game for far longer than I played, uh, I'm probably a little bit jaded when it comes to basketball movies because I get very hyper focused on how realistic the movie is. Like, does it actually make sense? Uh, And for me, for it to be a great basketball movie, basketball has to be the focus. Um, And I think we we get lost in the fact in a lot of movies, whether it be basketball, football, whatever, baseball, uh, oftentimes, like, the sport kind of gets mixed into the storyline. But it's kind of to the side a little bit. So for me, when I think about all-time favorite basketball movies, uh, I want to look at, at the realistic side and the realism of the, of the movie. Is Are the things that the coach in the movie is saying, are they plausible? Is it something that a coach would actually say? Uh, do the roles that the players play, do they make sense? Uh, you know, the the types of offense and things like that, the verbiage that gets used. I pay attention to all that stuff. And, and for me, if it's, if it's off or uh, exaggerated in some cases um, or just poorly done, and you can right. tell those movies right away, uh, that's the stuff I'm looking for. So for me, it has to be realistic. Things have to make sense basketball has got to be the center focus of the movie. Um, and to me, I'm looking at how well do the guys in the movie play the game. That's, that's too. big for me. Like, are the guys playing basketball, are they athletic? Do they move right? Do they, you know, mechanically, 
the does the jump shot look right? Are they fundamental or does it look awkward? So for me, I, that's the stuff I'm looking for. So it's funny because like anytime there's a new basketball movie or show, I'm on it because I want to see. And so like if I watch it and someone's jump shot is just awful, I turn it <laughs> off. There's a new basketball show on Disney Plus called Crossover. Okay. Not to turn anybody off if you want to watch it, but it, don't. <laughs> they like. I'm sure the story's great. I got 15 minutes. Their dad was supposed to be a stud player who's coaching them, and his shot. I mean, it's like he has never played. Like there's no coaching to yeah. anyone. No one's helped him. The authenticity of the game is huge. I'm okay with yeah. a little bit of balance. I'm okay with the story and basketball being central. You know, basketball can't take too much of a backseat, but I'm okay if there's some story going into it because um, I, I enjoy that that part of it. But if you're not, if you don't look good, or if you're if you're saying some coaching things that are just rough, and we'll kind of get into that when I'm looking at this. But there are times there's some movies that like. If the coach just shows up and starts yelling and he's just tough and all of a sudden the team gets better, which is a lot of basketball movies, that doesn't show me anything. And if you don't look like you can play, yeah, it's hard to watch. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. It's authenticity of the game. Yeah. Is the game central? Are the coaches and people talking? Does it make sense? Um, and is there really a central theme here? You know, like I, I watched uh, One Tree Hill. Remember that show? Oh. I did. I never watched it, but I know what you're talking about. I watched it because I heard it was about basketball, and it's like the first two episodes, and then there is no more basketball. <laughs> like, so it starts off with some high school basketball players, and then they just leave that concept behind. <laughs> so I never finished it because I was like, "Oh, hey, don't you guys have a game on Friday? Like, what are you guys doing?" So um, definitely, definitely abandon stuff like that. So um, all right. Well, without further ado, let's get started here. I'm I'm gonna go at number five. Okay. Number five, I have White Men Can't Jump. Okay. At number five. Um, I love this movie first and foremost for, for this reason. It's, it's just fun. It is such a fun movie. Um, when I was in high school, I watched this movie a lot. Like, I had it on my DVR, and I watched it all the time. Um, it's got a lot of good basketball scenes. That's important. Yes. Um, the scene at the beginning where there's kind of a shootout for money, like back and forth. Uh, it's pretty fun. Woody Harrelson looks like he can really play. Um, I did yeah. a little bit of research on the movie. Woody can really play. He is a guy that he went to Hanover College. Yes, so he's got local flavor. Gotta gotta ha- contribute to the fact that he's got a nice jumper. Um, it's a little unorthodox. The person that wasn't good, and I've read a lot of this, is Wesley Snipes, um, playing the Sidney Dean character, a good athlete, but apparently a very bad basketball player to the point that. All of his scenes in this and to connect to another movie, Major League, when he plays in the baseball movie, most of his basketball scenes are filmed in slow motion to kind of get rid of the fact that he's not a tremendous basketball player. There's a lot of slow motion basketball in this movie, and there's a lot of slow motion baseball for him uh, in Major League. He's not a hooper. Apparently a great athlete. And, you know, in certain aspects, but from even his words, he said all of his shots were bricks. Like, he could not <laughs> figure it out. Um, there's some weird moments that take away. Like, if you if you remember this movie, there's like a whole Jeopardy thing. Oh, yeah. Movie. Um, but just for the basketball moments themselves, they're so much fun. 
Uh, there's a remake coming to Netflix with Jack Harlow. I don't know if you've heard this. I have. But uh, I'm going to watch it. I'm interested to see. I don't know if it will, um, you know, be better than the first one. But I love White Men Can't Jump. It's fun. It's nostalgic for me. So that's my number five. I like that pick. I like that pick. That's a good movie. Uh, my number five is Space Jam. And just okay. like White awesome. Man Can't Jump is nostalgic for you, uh, Space Jam is just nostalgic for me. I was in elementary school when it came out. This was following up um, Michael Jordan's kind of you know first retirement um, when he decided to leave the Bulls and go to baseball. This followed that up. His return to the Bulls as a part of this movie, and then you know that summer they released Space Jam. So you know maybe the retirement from the Bulls was his you know ploy to go make Space Jam. I don't know. Uh, Maybe he just wanted to get into Hollywood for a second, but it was the first time for me as a kid seeing the quote-unquote greatest athlete in the world transition from his sport over to to cinema and to film. And you know, we can talk about it being a you know a quote-unquote cartoon movie. You know, we can talk about it being CGI and all that, but uh, it was also the first time you really saw the greatest athlete in the world, be a pretty decent actor. Like, you know, you know, Jordan had done commercials and things like that, um, but to do a full-length feature movie and be a really good actor uh, was was really impressive. And, you know, there's there's some actual basketball in this, uh, you know, and to me, the, the supporting cast in the movie is also what makes them is what makes it too with Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogues. Um, you know they bring seven six Sean Bradley into yeah. the mix. Uh, Bill Murray makes the cameo. Larry There's Bird, a cameo. Yeah, yeah, Larry Bird's in the movie. So for me, um, it's just it's a nostalgic pick, but it just had all of the right pieces that just made it a good movie, and you just enjoy watching. And even till today, uh, you know, if it's on, I at least tune in for a little bit of it. Oh, yeah. I watched it the other day. It's it's fun. Um, I will say, you talk about a good basketball scene. The opening scene when he's shooting in the driveway with his dad yeah. is a great basketball scene. I absolutely love That's my favorite part of the movie. That is a great, great scene. Yeah. Uh, love Space Jam. Fun one. Probably the greatest shot in sports movie history, I would have to say, the long arm extension. Oh yeah, the extension from half court. Yeah, hundred percent. Best, best, best shot. Maybe best shot in the history of the game. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna jump to number four. Uh, I don't know if it's on your list. I don't want to steal any thunder, but I have a couple points with it. Number four, I'm going with blue chips. Okay. Blue chips is really, really fun to me, and I think we've talked about authenticity being important. I think this is where blue chips has some authenticity. The superstar cast in terms of superstar basketball players oh, what makes it second to none. It's, it's too much fun. Um, you have Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway as they're really starting to take off in their career. And then not a lot of people know this guy, but we will. Matt Nover and yeah. Indiana Hoosier yeah. being in that movie is really awesome because there probably could have been some other picks there. But having Nova in the mix is really interesting. You get a lot of Indiana scenes. Yeah. Bird with another appearance. Bird's got some great basketball movie cameos. Oh, fantastic cameos. Yeah, not in for a lot, but it's sort of like 
you know, it, it's kind of like your six man. Like he just comes off the bench in some of these movies and has a couple hot, you know, hot minutes and then put him back on the bench. Like Bird yeah. shows up and has some great scenes. Um, but this is so much fun. And I think it foreshadows a lot of what we see today. Um, uh, Coach Bell, uh, Nick Nolte's character in the NIL and transfer portal is not <laughs> having any of these issues. Um, I think, by the way, you talked about Bronny having the highest NIL deal. Neon Badeau, Shaq's character, <laughs> he is cleaning up in the NIL. Um, and then Butch McCray, Penny Hardaway, he's definitely hitting the transfer portal. Um, definitely some takeaways <laughs> is if you modernize this. Butch just wanted to go home. No, he just wants to go home. He's transferring immediately. But it's it's really fun. It's There's some really, really good basketball scenes. I mean, oh, there's, there's really – there's in that there's high level basketball in that movie that I think gets lost. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's you know, and it, I don't know if you have this one coming up or not, but there's some really fun. Um, that last game against Bobby Knight is super fun. I will say that I have one nitpick in the coaching. At one point, Coach Bell is breaking down some Indiana game film, and they are um, talking about Pat Graham, another uh, Hoosier yeah. and formerly Indian high school player. He mentions Pat Graham. He says, great shooter. We got to shut him down. And that's like their scouting report. And it's like, all right, easier said than done, coach. But um, the basketball scenes are, are for real. It's got a, a realness and a rawness to it. And it's the ending of that movie to me is what's great because it's not necessarily a happy ending. And it's a very no. polarizing, conflicting ending. And um, that's what makes it fun for me is because it's not a typical – this is not Rocky Balboa. This is not right. underdog comes back and wins. There's there's a lot of conflict, and that's what makes yeah. it a great story for me. So I got blue chips coming in at number four. All right, number four for me. I'm going to steal your number five pick. Number four is White Man Can't Jump. All right. Um, kind of, you know, another nostalgic pick from me being young. Uh, but I picked this for the just the simple – fact that basketball in this movie plays a major role and you actually get to see basketball being played um, there's a realness to it I think the the directors in this movie took basketball seriously which in a lot of basketball movies is something that you don't necessarily see uh, you know like we said Woody Harrelson can legitimately play basketball Wesley Snipes great athlete clearly not a great basketball player uh, but is a great athlete so fits that role and has a charisma about yes. himself uh, that I don't know that anybody else could have played that Sidney Dean character the way that Wesley Snipes was able to. We do get into the kind of the weird Jeopardy girlfriend type deal um, is Wesley Snipes trying to kind of get one over on Woody Harrelson and uh, you know kind of screw him over a little bit in the whole two-on-two deal. Uh, but it's also kind of a, a realistic look at you know guys that were playing ball for money. You know, yeah. you, you think about late '80s, '90s, out on courts, putting real money on the table, uh, thinking about this being a way that I'm going to feed my family for a week or whatever. Uh, I think it it sheds some real light on those types of situations and how serious. You know, some pickup basketball was. I know we've kind of lost that a little bit um, here in the last probably five or six years as far as seeing courts, you know, that are, you know, outdoors and asphalt and concrete being filled because they used to be. Uh, but it, it kind of brought that type of game to life. 
gosh, and it was it's just such a, a good movie. And it's entertaining, it's fun to watch. Uh, and you know, Woody Harrelson finally gets his alley oop dunk, which is kind of the you know, the, the name of the movie that a white man can't jump and he, he loses all of his winnings that one evening, you know, when he goes up and tries to dunk and he can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. And then, you know, to kind of cap the movie off, they win their two on two tournament and he finishes it, you know, by, by slamming one home. And yeah. uh, to me, that's what I'm, uh, that's what I was looking for in this one. It's just, it's just fun to watch from beginning to end. And it's uh, just entertaining. Yeah, I completely agree. It's fun. It's real. Um, there's really good basketball scenes. Um, and, you know, it, it, it kind of takes on those pickup basketball stereotypes. There's definitely guys, regardless of, of race or anything, I mean, this could be any basketball stereotype. There's guys when you go to play pickup ball and you're like, dude, this guy cannot be on my team. Like, yeah. there are 100% are guys when we would go play that's like, I cannot have this guy. Um, and so, um, and if, if you're not sure who that is, um, <laughs> it's, it's you. you. Yeah. You're like, hey, no, I don't think there's anybody here like that. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's super fun, and I that's why I had it on my list. It's 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 great. Um, number three, uh, a pretty pretty new movie, and there's some recency bias for me, but I think it's merited. I have Hustle, um, and Hustle is a new Netflix movie. Um, it has Adam Sandler, uh, definitely not the person you would think would star in a basketball movie. Um, <laughs> It blew me away on the first viewing. I loved every second of it. And it what I like about it is it is definitely basketball central and it just felt like a modern basketball story. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that the basketball movie is real authenticity. You have real NBA players. It is star studded in terms of that. Um, so the you know, with the premise of it being he finds this guy. Um, internationally and brings him back. It's a lot like a baseball movie, and I know I brought up a baseball movie again. Um, that came out in the 90s called The Scout. I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie yes. or not. So The Scout has Brendan Fraser and Albert Brooks, and it's very, very similar to that movie um, to the point that I, I read an article where Adam Sandler didn't realize that. Um, I don't think it was intentional, but uh, it's very, very similar. But it is – I love it. One for, it, It's a great story. It's got kind of the you know that classic sports movie feel of an underdog yeah. But it is it's raw. It's got that the the modern feel. You've got NBA combine going on, you've got social media playing an aspect, you've got kind of the reputation of these international players coming over, them being kind of unknown, and you've got a lot of that dynamic. And you get the front office aspect of the yeah. NBA. And so I love Hustle. It's become my at this point on my list here, my third favorite basketball movie ever. Um, because it's it's real basketball. It was a real, I mean, it's not a true story, but it, it feels like a real story. Um, and it is entertaining from start to finish. I love Hustle. Yeah, it's it's not on my list, and I'm glad you put it on yours. Um, I watched it, I think, over, if I remember, call, I think it was over Christmas break this yeah. year. Uh, gosh, and I, I'm with you. The, you know, like we, we talked about, you know, kind of our criteria here, authenticity. It's incredibly realistic. Uh, yes. And it really doesn't deviate. There's not a whole lot of other, you know, side plots or side stories. It's a hundred percent about that kid and Adam Sandler and their drive to get him to the league and all of the adversity that they face and the trials and tribulations. And it's a real look at what it is, you know, kind of from that inside the front office look 
at, at going and trying to find guys and get them to the league. And it's a really, it's a really, it's, if you love basketball, it's the perfect movie to watch. 100%. And, and you talked about uh, athletes going into being good actors. Anthony Edwards might have a future in, in some movies or TV shows. His character, he's a good like villain. He played a great bad guy. Yeah, he was awesome. Like, he didn't overdo it. He wasn't, you know, too ridiculous, and it wasn't too. It didn't seem, you know, too like robotic. Like he was. No, he was it like, almost real. it almost came across as natural. Ah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of that that's like Which maybe not playing a part. Kind of makes me wonder how those T wolves practices go. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say there's a lot of jawing coming from Anthony Edwards, but. It was a lot of fun. I yeah. love that movie, and, and uh, I love watching it. What's your yeah. number three? Uh, number three for me is Glory Road. Oh. Uh, love this movie. I think it's awesome. Uh, you know, again, we go back to thinking about some movies that are basketball-oriented or just basketball movies. They're not based on true stories. This one is, you know, based off the Texas Western team, the first college basketball team to have an all-African-American starting five. They beat the all-white Kentucky Wildcats. I believe it was 19... Is, was it 55? Is that right? I can look was it, it that long ago? I believe so. Uh, but yeah, this is just a really good movie. There's a realistic look at what their team went through when you think about the current state of the country during this particular time period. Um, I think it brings that to light a little bit, does a great job of highlighting... You know, some of the the conflicts and the things that the team went through, some of the hurdles that they had to jump. I think the coaching in the movie is pretty realistic for the most part. Um, but for me, you know, kind of being a, a pseudo-history teacher, uh, I really enjoyed this movie because of the history aspect, but also, you know, that there's, there's real basketball being played, and it's based on a true story, which for me kind of uh, gives a little bit added value. Right, absolutely. Uh, it's nineteen sixty six, by the 66, way. Sixty six. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have it on my list either. It was one that like just barely made the cut. I mean, I I love this movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on it's on Disney Plus, I believe. It's it's really fun. It's it it's real. It's a great story when you combine, like you said, the history and the game. There's good basketball in it. Yeah. Um, and there's real strategy to it. I mean, at the end of he talks about. Um, going to dunk the ball and talks about the intimidation factor. If you remember that part towards the end, yeah, like there's some real like, oh, that's that's a real kind of a thing. That's something you wouldn't maybe necessarily hear. Um, so they give some real, um, some real insights to the game, and there's some real coaching. Um, that's a really really good one. It was hard for me to leave that off my list. No, it's just it's a good movie. And if you, if you like basketball, if you like history, uh, certainly is is a movie that you you want to make sure that you watch. And it's it's well portrayed, and it gives a really good look uh, at kind of what what state the country was in yes. at, at this time too, and also gives you a look at how a basketball team can change the perception and the perspective. And the outlook of people too, like you know, I think a lot of times we get lost in the fact that oh, it's just sports. And you and I have been in, in it, have been in it long enough that you know we also realize at times where sports are bigger than life in some instances. And this is a yeah. case where 
where sports is bigger than life. And this Texas Western team, um, you know, 1966, I will correct myself there, uh, but beating Kentucky certainly kind of changed the landscape of things in the country too. Yeah, I, I think sports reflects reflects our, our life and society oftentimes. I, mean, I don't want to get like too too like philosophical here, but I think it definitely it reflects it, and that movie definitely did uh, with the times for sure. Um, love that one. I'm gonna have to have like a marathon now with all these that we're listing because now I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to go back and watch that. Um, number two. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in my number two here. Um, almost my number one, and it is. It is one of my, not just favorite basketball movies, but all-time favorite movies, and that's He Got Game. Okay. So this is the best basketball story that isn't a true story. Like, this is, I think, the best basketball story. Um, It is, I think it perfectly balances the basketball story with it being a Hollywood story. I mean, it's, to me, a movie that um, I think got overlooked in terms of the the quality of the movie itself. You have a, a real director in Spike Lee. Real, I mean, Denzel Washington is one of the greatest actors of all time. And then you have the authenticity of bringing in real basketball players. Yeah. I mean, this is a really cool cast, a really cool um, story. You've got basketball players and Ray Allen and Rick Fox, and then some, some like other players that are thrown into the, some scenes. You've got some real actors when you look like Denzel. Um, Jim Brown has a small role yeah. in it. Um, it's, it's awesome. Um, I also think it's way ahead of his time, but it was also in the perfect moment. And it's really hard, but I'll explain it. So at this time, you had like Kobe and Garnett and T-Mac coming out of high school. And so you had that discussion, should players come out? And that was the Jesus Shuttlesworth character. Um, And like we had discussed before, they actually wanted Kobe to do it. He turned it down um, to, you know, to continue and work on his his game some more. Allen Iverson was one that was considered. Kevin Garnett was considered. I think I think maybe Tracy McGrady. I, I, I've read that before, um, as well. There's also just maybe there's rumors, and then whether was it true or not. Uh, but ultimately settling on Ray Allen, who ended up being a pretty decent actor. I mean, you know, you know, he's not going to win any awards or anything, but holding your own in a scene against Denzel is You're not right. Easy. And he and he does it. Um, but to me, what makes this really interesting, and we'll get to some of the basketball scenes, is when I think about it, this is LeBron James before LeBron James, like. There's so much that's almost like it's almost foreshadowing LeBron. You have the high school kid that's become larger than life when he's not played a single game in college or professional. Right. Um, the Jesus Shuttlesworth character is on the cover of Sports Illustrated. LeBron is. I mean, they call LeBron the king. You've got the character named Jesus. I mean, you've got these guys that are. It it's almost mirrors it. Um, we got exactly what almost became of this. Um, but along with this, you know, you have that foreshadowing of him, but you also get to see, like, how five-star players are recruited. Um, <laughs> it's constant national attention. There's definitely some bad stuff going on under the table. Yeah, the recruiting uh, visits get a little interesting when you're that highly touted. Yeah, there were some really, really interesting ones. A lot of money being thrown around, a lot of some other stuff being thrown around. It's it's interesting, and it makes you think, like, what are these kids put through, and... and there's a lot of talk about like, hey, these kids being used for that. But there's it's there's great basketball scenes. Um, yeah. The pickup game at the beginning of the game, five on five, is incredible. The highlights of Ray Allen are great. You get a huge like, uh, there was like a whole Sports Center segment where all these coaches and players are talking, which was really cool. There's a yeah. ton of coaches in this. 
Um, and Denzel's character is so fun. They're one-on-one. So before I, I don't want to go too long on this, but there's a scene towards the end of the movie where Denzel, the, the plot of the movie, for those who don't know, Denzel Washington, in order to get himself out of prison, I don't want to reveal too much, but has to convince his son to go to a particular college. And so they, if you remember, they play that one-on-one game at the yeah. end. If Denzel wins, he'll do what he says. Yeah, he so puts the... He puts the the national letter of intent under the basket, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he's got like his house arrest ankle thing on. <laughs> yep. And they're playing. Now, in the script, uh, I did a little bit of research here. Denzel is not supposed to score. Ray Allen is supposed to completely shut him out. You did the well, same Den- research I did. Yeah. Denzel hits two or three jumpers. And I think it made Ray Allen pretty upset. Yeah, Ray Allen got mad. Yeah. From what I saw, Ray Allen was mad. And they had a real game. Which, by the way, it looks like Denzel can play. I'll let you kind of take this point, too. But it looks like Denzel can play. Yeah, it's, um, I did the same research you did. And I actually saw a video clip of it. And they were talking about how they were going to play, obviously, one-on-one to determine um, if Ray Allen's character, Jesus Shuttlesworth, if he gets beat, He'll go to the college. If he yeah. wins, then he's basically cutting ties with Denzel, cutting ties with his dad, and is right. going to leave him alone and stop bothering him. And in the script, it's supposed to be 11-0. Like you said, they, it was, he was supposed to blank him. And Denzel, come to find out, had spent a couple of months working on developing a little bit of a game. And Denzel's game was not terrible. Like Jump shot didn't look bad. Fundamentally, mechanically, it looked okay. And like you said, he gave Ray Allen a couple of buckets um, in that little one-on-one session. And I guess in the middle of it, after the second or third score, he turned and looked at the people and said, I thought this was supposed to be 11-0. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that, that's, that there's some realness to that. It is a gritty movie. It's for real. There's a couple things that take it off the rails a little. There's a few things I can maybe cut off. There's kind of a little right. relationship thing with Denzel. That's, yeah. But top to bottom, it's so much fun. I'm, I was obsessed with that movie for a long time. Um, it's great. There was always rumors of a sequel, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I love He Got Game. Um, it. I enjoy more stuff about it the more I watch it. So number two, I've got He Got Game. All right. Number two for me, and I'm probably stealing your number one here, but number two is Hoosiers. Okay. Number two is Hoosiers on my list, and you and I talked today about me probably having a surprise number one, Uh, but number two is Hoosiers, and as much as it pains me to put that at number two being from Indiana, uh, my number one has a little bit of a Hoosier flair to it, so it'll be okay. Uh, Okay. But number two is Hoosiers coming off, uh, movie made in 1986, but based off the 1954 state champion Milan Indians and Bobby Plump hitting the game winner against the Muncie Central Bearcats um, up in Hinkle Fieldhouse um, and is forever etched in stone as arguably the biggest upset in Indiana high school basketball tournament history. Uh, Just a phenomenal movie. There's real basketball played. Um, The guys on the, I guess, the uh, Hickory, high school roster, um, playing the team that was Milan. I think all of those guys were playing some level of college basketball. Um, I think it's interesting getting to watch how they transitioned to having to go back 
from playing college ball in the 80s to acting like they were playing in the 50s. Um, yeah. So that was interesting. I love Coach Norman Dale. I love that character. Uh, we can get into some debates on a later episode as to whether or not Norman Dale was a very good basketball coach or not. Um, but Jimmy Chipwood, one of the all-time great sports movie characters, um, comes in, saves the day. Uh, but just, again, it's a nostalgic movie coming from Indiana based on a true story. There's real basketball played. There's actual coaching that you see take place. There's some conflict throughout the movie. Uh, obviously ends with the hero ending. Um, but but for me, Hoosiers is, is coming in at number two and just an all-time great sports movie. Feel good, yeah. feel good story. Just again, top to bottom, you can't you can't go wrong. Uh, I, I agree, and I have this number one, so I'm just going to jump in with you right now. So Get in there, one, and, and so uh, to continue this year, I mean, first of all, we named the podcast after <laughs> a scene in this movie. I mean, they run the old picket fence, and that's our intro. I mean, it embodies Indiana basketball in every way. Yeah, and. It's not just the way basketball is played, but the whole town. And there's some there's some flaws in that too. Like there's some negativity from the townspeople. They're not quite accepting of the outsider, right? Um, Which is real, a hundred percent real. Absolutely. And there's a way that, like, you know, you know. And the thing is, in the true story, it was a guy who was an Indiana coach. He was from Butler. Like, but you know, Hollywood kind of changed it, which, which still makes for a good movie, right? right. There is, um, you know, there's here's the way we we've always done things. There's the fear of other rival towns, like you know, the fear of Jimmy Chipwood moving to Terhune. Like there's all those you know, rivalry things. There's a Jimmy Chipwood in every town. Yeah, I mean, not at the level of what Bobby Plump was, and maybe not Mister Basketball, but there is a kid in every town that everyone's like, "Hey, he's the guy. He's our yeah. Chipwood." Uh, there are better Jimmy Chipwoods than, than others, but every every county, every school at least, but every you know every area, there's the guy that like, hey, people are gonna go see him, um, and I think that embodies it to where Jimmy Chipwood is kind of a thing I think about, like, hey, who's who is that guy in this area? Yeah. Well, so I watched it last night in preparation for this. No, we're gonna do it. When Ali hits the underhand free throw, I cried. And I, <laughs> I know it's gonna happen, but I do. Um, because it's based on a true story, it's even better. Yeah. And I think it has the best team basketball scenes in any movie. They're really setting screens. They're really being fundamental. There's real situations. It doesn't look fake. Like, sometimes there are just some things that look improbable in basketball movies. There's a lot of good basketball scenes. Yeah. Um, I think we should 100% dedicate an entire episode to this movie because we could really break it down. Yeah. Um, I do like Norman Dale. I have some questions about Norman Dale. <laughs> we can get another time. But I also love the shooter character. Yeah. Um, Every town has a shooter, too. There's no doubt. There's no <laughs> doubt. Um, Especially where we live. Every town has a shooter. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100% there is. And that character is just fun uh, and just adds a, a different dynamic with a great acting performance. But everything feels like Indiana. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I love Hoosiers. Um, I think it's impossible not to love it if you like basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Every part of it to me is just so fun, and it just feels uh, 
it, it just has a feel to it. And, yeah. and I love it from start to finish. Um, and there's nothing that, you know, I, I don't think I can even come close to putting another basketball movie above it. So number one, I have Hoosiers. I am very, very curious to hear your number one. It is, it's one that you've already mentioned. Okay. But I'm moving it into the number one slot just simply because for me, when I was little, when this movie came out, I watched it on repeat to the point where I burned up the VCR. Like, it was just something that when I was homesick from school, it was summer break, I came home from basketball camp, whatever. This was the movie I put in, and my number one is Blue Chips. Okay. Uh, The Indiana flair to it, I absolutely love. Uh, About the time this movie came out, I was on a travel baseball team. It was one of the first times that Salem started to put those things together, and... We had a tournament in Mitchell that we were playing in. We played like three or four games in a day, and our last game got over at like 10 o'clock at night. But walking off the field, what none of us knew was Matt Nover was watching the game. No kidding. So I I couldn't tell you who in the world we were playing. Um, I know we got a trophy in the tournament. I know we didn't win the tournament, but we, we did well enough. We got a trophy. So going through that whole having to walk in on the field, get your trophy, walk off. A couple of our parents noticed that Matt Nover was there. And, of course, he's maybe a year removed from playing for IU. So we were all losing our minds. We all walk over. We all get Matt Nover's autograph. And this movie's coming out. And knew who Shaq was, knew who Penny Hardaway was, knew who Matt Nover was because of our interaction at that tournament. And – get into watching and I, and I was just enthralled with anything that was real basketball right at the time and the fact that this had some insight into the recruiting processes had some insight into like practices what campus looked like for some of these guys it gets into some of the controversial aspects of college basketball uh, you know gambling plays a bit of a role in this movie under the table recruiting, you know, like we said before, the whole NIL thing. Um, so there's a lot of different parts to this movie. Um, you know, the coach and some of the turmoil that his personal life goes through. There's a lot of different ways that this movie plays out. But the fact that there's real basketball, there's people from Indiana. Larry Bird is in it. The town of French Lick is in it. Uh, yeah. You know, you can drive from here to French Lick and see the places um, that are in the movie, you can see the fence along the highway. You can see the the route that the parade takes through French Lick. Uh, the head coaches that are in this movie. Uh, but looking at, you know, Shaq is in his prime. Penny Hardaway is in his prime. And it was just a whole lot of fun. Bobby Knight coaches the, the, the Indiana team in this movie. Uh, the home gym for the Western University Dolphins. I, I believe is Frankfurt High School, um, just up just up north here past Lebanon, um, north of Indianapolis. They completely transformed the entire gym, but I'm pretty sure that that's Frankfurt's gym that they play in. And my favorite story, a couple of stories from this movie, is Nick Nolte, to play the role of Petey Bell, spent the second half of a season with Bob Knight and the, the Indiana Hoosiers. Because that's who his character's based off of. Hence why Bob Knight is the opposing team for the final game in the movie. 
And so that's where that comes into play. And then you get into the final game where Western University has their new recruits. They've got their freshman class. They've got Shaq. They've got Penny. They've got Matt Nover. Uh, and they're playing the quote-unquote number one ranked Hoosiers with Calvert Chaney. Bobby Hurley is on that team. Uh, you know, portal probably. They, they talk about Pat Graham. And the best part is the ending scene, the last play, is an alley-oop lob to Shaq for the win. Right. They, they say that it took like 30 takes to complete the last play because Bob Knight refused to lose. I've, I've heard this, so, yeah. And I 100% believe it. They said that when they, when they came out for the, the last scene to be shot, Knight called his five guys over and like, listen, they don't score. We know what they're running. When he comes off the back pick, you grab him. You grab him, you hold him. He does not get a chance to get off the floor. So I guess they, they did it enough that finally the producers and the directors were getting ready to lose their minds. And so yeah. he had to give it, because the movie's got to end. So he had to give in and let the, and let the alley-oop happen. But it was not without a little bit of hesitation on his part. As you can only imagine in Bob Knight fashion, not wanting to easily let somebody win and finding a way to stop the last play. Uh, but there's some looks at, you know, under-the-table recruiting, which I think was probably really going on. Uh, and allegedly, the Matt Nover character in his recruitment with the tractor that gets delivered to his house and the $30,000, that's allegedly a true story based off of Kent Benson and how Kentucky tried to recruit Kent Benson to come play for them. Oh, wow. When Benson was at Newcastle, um, allegedly there's a story that goes to them offering him some sort of tractor and some cash if he would come play for Kentucky. Wow. I had not heard that before. That's great. That night story is incredible, and I had heard that before too. And it's just funny to think that you know he's going to try and break up the the scripted movie scene. But Blue Chips is so fun. I think it might be one of the raw like rawest, most real basketball it, movies. Yeah, it really. As far as just being a, a pure basketball, there are some really raw scenes to it, and you can tell that they let the cameras roll and they let these guys play ball. They let them play five on five, and they took clips. Like Rick Pitino yeah. is in this movie coaching some team from Texas. Like, Patino gets a cameo. Um, Chris Mills, back, played for the Cavaliers um, in the NBA. He gets a cameo playing for Patino on one of those squads. Uh, gosh, Jim Bayheim is in this movie. Tarkanian is in the movie, yeah. When they go to recruit Penny Hardaway, there's several coaches around kind of the rafters yes. of that gym. Uh, that's a great scene, and that's a great basketball scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's just fun, and, you know, I have that at, I'm, I'm not surprised. I think it was just unexpected. I have that at four, but it's just good to, and, and the thing is, too, the reason I like that or, like, something like He Got Game or Hoosiers, it's, even if you're not a basketball fan, it's a great movie to watch. Like, it is a really good story, um, and, it, and it's very, very fun, but uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised you had that at number one. I I memorized the countries of Central America because of that movie. 
Because he's studying for the SAT. So, yeah, because when Shaq's character, Neon Badeau, studying for the SAT because he got like a 400 the first time he took it, and he has to get like a 650 or something to get into college. Right. As he's studying, he's listing off the countries of Central America, and that is the sole reason why I have all of those countries memorized is because the 10-year-old version of me sat there and would rack them off. <laughs> that's, that's the best story from that. And we expect you to rattle those off. Um, that's fantastic. Um, we want to hear your all's favorite movies. Yes. Uh, we want you to post those. Um, you, know, you can find us on Twitter, at PicketFence underscore pod. Hit us up on Facebook and Instagram. This will be on Spotify, and we want to see your responses to that. Um, this has been a great episode. We're super excited. Um, we will join you, I think, maybe later this week. It looks like we could be on. Um, but for both of us here at the Big Convince Podcast, as always, don't, don't get, get caught, caught watching, watching the paint dry. <laughs>